Hey, welcome to Operation 180. My name is Pastor Tim. Welcome to the 180 Recovery and Restoration Ministry. What we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to run through a deep dive, a deep biblical dive through the 12 steps. If you've been running a 12-step program in AA or NA or Celebrate Recovery, what we're going to do is perfectly compatible with that. The difference here is we're going to deep, do a much deeper dive biblically into the spiritual principles behind them. If you stick with this and you get a sponsor in the next seven or eight sessions, you can work the 12 steps and be done inside of two months. I am so excited about this. My story, I was, I was, I was captive to alcohol, King Alcohol. I was practicing law. I was worshiping profit, stock prices, and all of the above. And in one instance, God delivered me, gave me complete freedom from all that. The compulsion, the drink was lifted. And it wasn't that money wasn't important. I still had to make money to make a living, but I wasn't living to make money, if you follow me. The program that we're going to run through, we're going to use the word addiction from time to time. Tonight we'll talk about some addiction myths. Any compulsive behavior in this program is an addiction, whether it's a substance use disorder, alcohol or drugs, whether it's sex, whether it's uh, if you're codependent, gambling, whatever it is. As we'll see next session, we're going to define sin in here, not so much by what it is you're doing to act out. We're going to define sin as separation. Sin is separation from God, and we're going to define sin as separation. So whatever your self-destructive behavior is, that's going to, when we talk about the term addiction, that's the umbrella. To get started, I want to talk about several myths about addictions that come up. And we got eight of them. We'll put some on the screen for those of you who can see the screen. Myth number eight. The myth is that addiction is a myth. How about that? <laughs> That's not a very nice statement, is it? We're gonna talk about hope tonight. That's the subject of tonight. And that is not a very hopeful statement. And sometimes you hear this in conversation where someone is either projecting their personal experience upon someone else, or perhaps their virtue signaling. So they might say something like, a self-centered statement like, well, I can have a glass of wine or two. Well, why can't they? What's wrong with them? This addiction stuff, it's nonsense. It's just self-control. They're weak. This leads us to a couple other myths. There's two that I want to put together. We're going to talk about two ends of a continuum, a spectrum here. Myth number seven and myth number six. Addiction, they're only spiritual issues or they're only psychological issues. It's my stinking thinking and that's it. So if I just thought better, if I was thinking more better, or I got more therapy or the right therapy, I could, I could, they should be able to stop. At the other end of this spectrum is the physical and physiological issues. And that myth is myth number five. Addictions are only about medical issues. Now this one is enticing because if we attribute your addiction just to a physiological problem, it's not a decision-making issue. 
and it removes your shame, doesn't it? Well, it's not your fault. You're sick. But when it's taken to the extreme, this ignores the spiritual and physiological aspects or psychological aspects of the addiction. The truth is that addiction is a complex mix of all these aspects, isn't it? In this, there's a silver sub-myth is that your childhood issues have nothing to do with your addiction. This is a dangerous sub-myth. I hear this sometimes, and I think I thought this for a while. Once you're out of the house, you're, what your parents did doesn't matter. You're responsible for your own behavior, right? That's not what trauma and trauma care is teaching us now. Unresolved trauma actually spans that entire spectrum because trauma is a physiological injury to your brain that impacts the way you think. So it's both a mental issue and a physical issue at the same time. And many of our self-destructive behaviors, including my own as I've learned more about myself, are the result of unresolved childhood trauma, including those that result in complex PTSD. The coping mechanisms that we developed to cope with trauma in our childhood may have been effective then, but they're not effective as an adult. In fact, they can be counterproductive. Coping mechanisms like disassociation can lead to relational and marital consequences much later in life. But there is hope. That's what we're talking about tonight. Trauma injures, but recovery can heal. Amen. Myth number four. Addiction means you're not responsible for your own choices. You hear this in AA meetings sometimes. It's like, I was in the store and this person cut me off and, you know, the alcoholic inside of me yelled at them. And I'm like, no. <laughs> no. You're responsible for your own choices. I was certainly able to make many responsible choices in my last year of drinking. That's when I made the most money, believe it or not. But not only are we here in recovery, not only are we responsible for our actions, we're going to, in fact, make amends for them, right? We are absolutely responsible for our actions. Addiction is not a free ride to do whatever you want. Next myth, myth number three. Addiction only happens to weak people. No. Sometimes you hear this, ah, he just can't handle that alcohol <laughs> or something, right? Nah. Addiction cuts across all socioeconomic classes and strata. I've seen, I've represented powerful people in my career as a lawyer who had a hidden addiction. People at the top of their career paths, the highest respect in their field, and they were struggling with things at home. It's not because you're weak. And this leads to myth number two, and this is one that we see in the church a lot. Addictions are resolved if you just have enough faith. If you just have more, better, higher faith. Right? If you've been in an AA or NA meeting somewhere, you'll see that poster on the wall. Faith without works is dead. It's not just having enough faith. We're going to talk a lot about faith tonight. you got to put the work in, but it's not the amount of faith. Another way to illustrate this is sometimes we resolve one issue and another pops up. Or sometimes we have 
multiple addictions and we're delivered from one. But with that same faith, we're not delivered from another one. And we may struggle. How many people do you see smoking at an AA meeting? <laughs> it's not just faith. This leads to myth number one. Alcohol and drug problems, addictions in general, are hopeless to change. You'll see people. Just this morning, I was counseling someone in my office. A mom, and she's watching her son slowly kill himself. And she wants to buy into that lie that we're hopeless to change. And she looks at me and she goes, can people get better? Yes, I'm a witness to that, absolutely. It could be a tremendous struggle for many to watch people that seem to have more struggles than others. But it doesn't mean there's no hope for anybody anywhere. But if the myth that recovery is hopeless is false, then the truth must be there's hope. That must be the truth. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I know that truth. And the Holy Spirit has compelled me since that moment that I was delivered to put together this curriculum to show that not only can hope be found, but hope can only be found in Jesus. Amen. It was he that reached out to me and said, you don't have to be this way anymore if you follow me. And I have followed him. And I followed him in creating this curriculum for you over the past few years. What we're going to do over this curriculum is we're going to spend a lot of time in the books, the Gospel of Luke and Acts. And Luke wrote these together. They're a bundle. And he wrote them for a reason. He wrote them to bring hope to all. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. But before we get to our theme verse for the series, let's look at the hope that Luke runs through like a thread through both the gospel and the Acts. Because hope is what Luke wants you to have. In fact, Luke wants everyone to have hope. Not just the Jews at the time. I mean, this was the hope of the first Advent and Christmas. Can I talk about Christmas again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know when you're listening to this, but we're, we're recording this about three weeks outside of Christmas, and I'm going to keep talking about Christmas. What does the angel of the Lord tell the shepherds in Luke's Christmas account? We'll begin with Luke 2 at verse 9. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified but the angel said to them what, what the angels always say don't be afraid for see i am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people circle all to you born this day in the city of david a savior who is the messiah the lord i'm bringing you great joy is that hope yeah. the hope is that the messiah is here for everybody. Luke was a Gentile. This is hope for all people, including you. But what does it mean that the Messiah is here? Why is this hopeful? We go to the end of Luke, and we're going to look at, a, at a five verses here that are going to set 
sort of set the scene for this series. This is Jesus in the resurrection, talking to his disciple just before he rises to heaven in the ascension. And it reads Luke 24 at 44. Luke 24, 44 through 49 is going to be our theme verses. Then he, Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, comma, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. Well, we're going to unpack this over the next several weeks. Can Pastor Tim preach on five verses for seven weeks? Yes, yes, Challenge accepted. <laughs> the entire gospel, folks, is packed up in just those five verses. The whole good news of the gospel is in these. And it just so happens that the 12 steps traditionally take you through the, the gospel. So the gospel and the 12 steps are wrapped up in these. What we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to unpack that and we'll see it. Not only that, the 12 steps you're going to take are contained almost in the order that they're written in there. Now, we're going to take our journey tonight a little bit out of order. We're going to start with steps two and three, the steps of hope. And then next week, we're going to get down and dirty with our bottom and sin. And the reason is this. Whenever God's grace encounters somebody in the Bible, there's hope. In, in recovery circles, this is called a moment of clarity. In theology, it's, the fancy word is prevenient grace or enabling grace. Wherever you're at in your mess, in your pig field, we'll talk about the prodigal son in a few weeks. When God's grace reaches out of, in front of you, it's not necessarily a grace of salvation yet, but it's an enabling grace that gives you hope and lets you know there's another way. There's a, a way that you may not have seen at that moment. That's the grace that feels like hope. There is a way out. So I'm going to start there. That's what we're going to cover tonight. Because our recovery and redemption begins with God's grace. And that is hope, is it not? Oh, that's hope. Along the way, we're going to see our bottom, like in step one. But we're going to begin tonight with hope. What is the hope in Luke 24? What is Jesus trying to say to the disciples? He's reminding them, opening their minds, as he says, to the fact that he is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of Israel's hope. When we talk about fulfillment here, we're not, we're not talking about looking backwards into the Old Testament and trying to find Jesus behind every rock and every tree. I don't think, I think that's lazy thinking, and I don't think it respects the Jewish tradition and the culture of the Old Testament. Rather, what Jesus is saying is he's going to stand in the Old Testament 
and he's going to look forward. And by placing ourselves squarely in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfills three things in those scriptures. Jesus is the requirements of the Torah. He fulfills the requirements of the Torah. How Jesus is the Holy, it is Jesus that the Holy Spirit was pointing the prophets towards. And it's Jesus that the Psalms prophetically sing about. That's what the scripture says when Jesus says, it is written that the Messiah is to suffer from and rise from the dead on the third day. All that was prophesied about him in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Again, that Jesus fulfills the requirements of the Torah. The Holy Spirit was pointing the prophets towards Jesus. And that Jesus and the Psalms is Jesus that they're prophetically singing about. And he says, in fact, it must be fulfilled. And in that fulfillment is hope. Hope in the Messiah. It's the hope of Christmas. It's great joy to all people. The angels present Jesus as God's chosen, anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, in and through whom all things will be made new. But why suffering? It says suffering, doesn't it? The Messiah must suffer. You know, I think Peter probably has the best take on this. First Peter, second chapter two, excuse me. First Peter two, starting in verse 21. Here's how Peter says it. He's, and he's, he's, he's talking to late in his, in his life to his disciples. And he says, for this, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. Since you remember what Jesus reached out and told me, he says, follow me. That's what he tells the disciples, follow me, right? That you should follow in his steps. And then Peter quotes Isaiah, prophets are fulfilled in Jesus, right? And he says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sin, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Anybody need a guardian for their soul? (laughs) That sounds hopeful. Peter's quoting Isaiah. It shows you that Peter himself also sees Jesus as fulfilling the scriptures too. But what Peter's getting at here is that in Jesus's obedience, he suffered for us bearing our sins as an example that we should follow him. In Luke 24, it says we are to be his witnesses. So we following in his steps, we shall witness him. And in those wounds he suffered, we are healed and you are healed. Jesus had faith in the will of the Father 
He entrusted himself, Peter says. He had faith that even through his suffering, he would rise on the third day. And he did. Mary found an empty tomb. And Peter was there too, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. Do you have that kind of faith? Wherever you're at right now, whatever you're battling with, do you have faith that God can restore you? Because hope is critical for your recovery. Because hope precedes faith. Hope precedes faith. Now what is faith? Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. That's a tough one. From hope springs faith. We're going to spend a few minutes on this. It's such an important concept here. You may not see your recovery on the horizon. <laughs> you may not even be imagined being restored. But you know what step two says is we came to believe that Jesus could restore us. This is the uh, 100th anniversary of the Four Square Denomination, founded by Amy Semple McPherson. And I found this beautiful quote. I put it in your handout and put this on the screen. She says, Oh, hope, dazzling, radiant hope. What a change thou bringest to the hopeless, brightening the darkened paths, cheering the lonely way. What a beautiful quote. Dazzling, radiant hope. Hope changes the hopeless, she's saying. It's almost circular, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Hope changes the hopeless because hope brings change because hope brings faith. It's hope that brings us out of the darkness. And as Amy says, to paraphrase her, hope is a cheerleader for the lonely. <laughs> but hope brings change because whenever we move, we move in faith. Now, in this ministry, I have a practical definition for faith. It's actually one I pulled from philosophy. Faith is risk plus direction. Risk is doing something new. It's coming out of your comfort zone. Could be getting sober. You're moving in faith. But hoping in the unseen is risky because you can't see it. <laughs> as is moving towards something you can't even see yet, right? Mm -hmm. But this is exactly what Jesus is asking us to do. Jesus is asking us to step out in faith and move towards him. There's movement. We can never stay still. There's no coasting allowed. Either moving forward or moving backward, right? And Jesus asks us to do this straight up in Matthew 11, at verse 28. He says, come to me, all that you are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. This isn't a Darth Vader tractor beam, you know, drawing somebody. He's asking you, come to me, come to me, and I will give you rest. Well, that's hopeful. Anybody need rest? Take my yoke upon you. 
rather than the yoke of the world, the yoke of your addiction. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's offering to teach you. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We're going to define soul in a few weeks. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come to me indicates a movement, a direction. But when we're weary and carrying burdens, moving anywhere is hard, isn't it? You may be celebrating because you got out of bed this morning and took a shower. That may be a victory for you. But there's a risk. Now there's a reward. Jesus says, if you come to me, I'll give you rest for my soul. That's hope. But there's fear. Because to move towards Jesus, we must move out of the dark and into the light. And coming into the light that's risky because people are going to see you for who you are, right? And if you knew me, if you knew the things I did, you wouldn't like me anymore. So I'm just going to stay hidden. That's all, it's all good with you, right? But Jesus addresses this in the gospel of John. We read John three sixteen so often. But if we keep reading, we find a key to where this fear is. And it puts John 3.16 in perspective, I think. Starting at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes, there's the word believe, circle all the believes in this passage, who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. And then we continue. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, and those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And here's the key. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. It's that fear of exposure and coming clean that keeps many people in the dark. Believe, 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 believe. Was there four? In what? In his name. In the name of Jesus the Son of God, as John refers to him. But that is, that's tough. I know that kept me locked up for a long time. The people I hurt, you don't, know, you don't want to know who I really am. If you knew the real me, you would run from me, right? But Jesus was sent to save exactly you. And Jesus tells us this mission. And he tells us this mission back in Luke again. Luke 4. Remember, set the scene here. This is Jesus back in his hometown where he reveals his commission, where he quotes from Isaiah. And we'll talk about fulfillment one more time here. Luke 4 at 16, he says, When he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place 
or it was written. And here he quotes from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled, there's that word again, in your hearing. Fulfilled. Our word today, it seems. The Father has anointed Jesus to bring good news, hope, to all of us. Folks, whatever you are captive to, whatever self-destructive behavior has held you captive, He is here to release you. Have you gone blind to the beauty of the world around you? Are you stuck in a dark room like I used to be? Are you missing out on life? Well, open your eyes and take in the beauty of God's creation because your sight has been recovered. Amen? Whatever is oppressing you, pressing you, crushing you, that word means, whatever weight you are suffering under, you are free. This is how the Bible is, as a whole is fulfilled in your life through the work of Jesus. Amen? Amen? But for your recovery to be successful, Jesus is asking you to believe. But he makes it easy. So you can believe in him or his works. He actually gives you a choice. He tells us this in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, starting in verse 37. Jesus is talking to some of his critics, and he says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. So maybe you're new to the Bible. Maybe you just don't get all this scripture stuff. Maybe you don't even believe preachers like me. <laughs> but let me ask you something. You're here for a reason. If you're listening to this online, you've tuned in for a reason. Maybe a friend or family member got better. Maybe someone just said you need to go out there today. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever seen Jesus work in anybody's life? Ever. Maybe that's all you understand tonight about God, about Jesus, that he's done some work. And Jesus says to believe that. That's all he's asking of you. Here's what he's asking of you. Maybe I should have put this in the handout. All Jesus is asking of you is that you give everything you understand about yourself to everything you understand in this moment about him. And he'll work with that. When he says, come to me, that's all he means. He'll handle the rest. Oh, but not me. Again, I'm that bad sinner. Back in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, he says, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He wants to deliver you from whatever bondage you are in, to free you from whatever crushing guilt you're under the weight of. Your worldly problem 
has a supernatural solution. God anointed his son to bring you good news and freedom. And freedom is hope. Amen. Freedom is hope. And when you're delivered, you're going to proclaim this hope to others because you're going to be his witness. Jesus has plans for you. How about that? So come to him and believe and receive that hope. Jesus is calling you. He's asking you to come to him, repent, and be forgiven. If you're here, however you found this message, he is calling you. Take hope in that and come to a faith in Christ, as John tells us, believe in the name of Jesus, Son of God. Maybe you want to take a moment. Maybe you want to believe in that name for the first time. Maybe you haven't heard it put this way. If you're ready in this moment to give everything you understand about yourself to everything you understand about Jesus, just say yes in your heart. Or maybe you need to recommit. It's been a while. Even busted down. Tore down from the floor down. And you lost hope. And take a moment. And believe in and on the name of Jesus, the Son of God. Now, it's traditional in recovery. This is where we take step three. Step three, I have a slide. Step three reads, we made a decision to turn our wills and our lives over to the care of God. And we do that, again, by turning everything we understand of ourselves over to everything we understand about God. And that understanding, as you work your program, it's going to change. And it's going to change for the rest of your life. All Jesus is asking is you do that now. And what I'd like to do is together is to recite the Wesley Covenant Prayer. A prayer that Wesley brought to the Methodist tradition and I think really captures the essence of what Step 3 is all about. So why don't you stand with me if you can. It's on the bottom of your handout and I'll put it up on the screen here. And let's read this loudly and together. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will and place me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me put to work for you or set aside for you, praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things let me have nothing. I freely and surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, our wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine, and I am yours. So be it, in the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Congratulations, you have taken step three. And we'll see you next session.